again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 21 of Hunter Hunted Hybrid Wars. My third dip into the Clan Mason series. Always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can. And leave feedback at sites like fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All of your thoughts and feelings are always appreciated. And I always love reading what you guys have thought and what you're thinking and the directions you want me to go in. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, why don't you check out Storm Rider while you're there? My original story told on that one site and that one site only. And you know, if big girly dragon-esque girls, orcs, elves, magical realms, multiple worlds and undead are your thing, check it out, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. And also while you're there, why don't you check out the Ghostly Link section. Pick yourself up a copy of Mortis from either Smashwords or from Amazon. Help support me and keep me doing what I love. Bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. This is all fan fiction. I'm just here to keep the Huntresses happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 21. The Roots That Bind. Vippy and her pride didn't say another word to smoke as they dragged him across the underground city towards their home. He got the feeling that they were all pretty pissed at him for ditching them in the way that he'd done to run off and fight the Mimic. Though he was also picking something else up from them. Surprise, maybe? He noticed it in the way that, even though they hadn't said a word to him, they kept glancing at him repeatedly. He hadn't loaded his helmet since the fight with the Mimic, so they couldn't see his face properly behind the mask now. But he could tell that they were dying to ask him questions. Well, they were probably saving them for when they got him back somewhere where they could shout at him in private for scaring them. The way he'd done. He was already bracing himself for a pint-sized Tickelleth-worthy bollocking when they finally got where they were eventually going. Finally, they arrived at the base of a huge turret-shaped tower, which, given its truly breathtaking height and width, couldn't help but how many Raptorian prides actually lived inside of one. To him... He just couldn't imagine, and he just imagined an out ant farm with thousands of them running around in there. A pair of glass doors opened as they approached, and led him into a lobby, which for him was like stepping through a negative photograph. The entire inside of the building appeared to be white. They'd lined everything with white marble, which com contrasted to the absolutely jet black outside, really threw your senses for a loop. As you stepped into the brightness of it all. Powerful lights lit every service and made everything look absolutely shadowless. The inside was shaped like a giant corkscrew that ran all the way from the ground floor all the way up with floors denoted by their raised walls at each level. Dead centre at the large circular lobby was a bank of 20 elevators in a group that looked like somebody tied a bunch of flower stalks together to present to their blushing Xeno girl. Xenos always did like flowers for some reason. Even the boys seemed to like getting flowers from their suitors. As they marched up to the elevators, a set of golden metal doors whooshed open to reveal the pride that had just ridden down in it. It was a pride of eight females in a circular formation, and planted right in the middle, much more obvious because of his attire, makeup, and jewellery, was a little male, who absolutely gawked up at smoke as his pride has passed by. Vippy patiently waiting one with him to smack with him smack in the centre of it. In fact, the male wasn't the only one gawking. All of the females in the pride looked absolutely stunned as well. Good evening, Smoke said with a nod of his head. He would have given them a cheery and playful wave, but both Vippy and Seema had both been holding his hands in death grips to ensure that he didn't vanish on them again and rush off to hunt down the city's predators. Or while maybe strapping on a cape while he was at it to become super male, the masked crime-fighting alien hero. At least that's the odd image that flashed through his head, caused by the grip of him that they were both exuding on him. The little male gave Smoke a wave before going wide-eyed and chittering to his pride so quickly that Smoke's translator couldn't keep up. He appeared to be pulling out something that looked like a phone from a highly decorated leather man-bag that he was carrying and showing something to his pride all while pointing at Smoke. But before he could find out what it was, that had his tail in such a knot. 
Rippy's probably dragged him into the circle elevator and punched a button with an odd marking that kind of reminded him of a shooter. What with the sharp curved lines that looked like they were drawn with a clawn tip forming scratches. The elevator ride was smooth and silent to the point where without his ultimator clicking upwards in the corner of his HUD, Smoke wouldn't have been able to actually tell they were moving. Before finally, with a lively ping noise, the elevator announced that they had reached their intended floor. Which, given that Smoke had been watching the little scratch marks clicking upwards rather rapidly, he'd moved to estimated the floor to be about 230. What shocked him the most was when they stepped out and walked along the absolutely enclosed glass and metal walkway that led from the elevator doors to the floor itself. Only looked to be about a quarter of the way up the tower, making him wonder just how bloody high the thing went. They swiftly reached a door, with what assumed smoke assumed to be a number scratched into it, and as with all the other Raptorian doors, required two handprints to open, given the two scanners one either side of it. Two of the pride that Smoke didn't actually know by name yet stepped out of the formation and pressed their hands through it to ensure that Vippy and Seema could keep a hold and assume control over him, just in case he made a vertical break for freedom over the side or something, he assumed. As soon as the door opened with a cheery artificial voice that welcomed them home in Raptorian, they ushered him inside. Smoke managed to just duck in time so that they didn't run him headfirst into the low door for him, though. To his surprise, Smoke instantly noticed that the Pride were absolute clutterbugs. He also noticed that it, he noticed that he noticed, though it was kind of obvious when someone seemed to have left a set of underwear laid out on what looked to be a clothes horse next to a flat panel heater of some kind. The owner instantly became apparent as Seema made a high-pitched eep noise and rushed forward, letting go of his hand to snatch them away and hide them behind her back but not before Smoke was able to get a look of what looked like little pink animals of some kind plastered all over the small bar and panties that she was clutching. While Seema vanished off into another room to hide to their right to stow her embarrassment along with her underwear, the others suddenly initiated a panic clean, with Vippy pausing only to lock the door, preventing his break for freedom that she seemed convinced that he had planned before they scattered again and began putting things away and generally cleaning up. Smoke got the distinct impression they weren't expecting company this day, least of all of the male variety. Their home was pretty small, but very nicely furnished, and to be fair it looked like their station afforded them the ability to afford nice things for themselves. The front door opened right into what appeared to be the circular living room, Around the left wall, a kind of semicircular leather couch was pressed flush against the wall, with a large circular table that was obvious where the pride took both their meals and relaxed together in front of it. On the wall opposite was some kind of viewing screen that kind of reminded him of one of the old Earth humans used to talk about called a TV, which was a device used to, for entertainment as it broadcast all kinds of fiction and other programmes. The living room floor had a thick white fur-like carpet covering the floor that showed little footprints of the pride as they zipped about placing things back where they should be. On the walls appeared to be framed photographs of the pride with what Smoke assumed were their extended family. That's when he noticed something odd sat on the edge of the, little so of the sofa and he leaned down to look at it. It appeared to be kind of stuffed animals in the process of being sewn together and stuffed. Kind of reminded him of a little dragon in a way. One of the other Pride members made the same eep noise that Seema made when she realised her underwear was on display before snatching it away and the sewing kit and vanishing into one of the side rooms with it. That made Smoke chuckle as he summoned the mental image of the big rough bad rough tough st surface stalker elite soldiers of the Raptorian army cuddling her with her little stuffed dragon. Please remove your boots before entering this room, Vippy snapped a little tersely, appearing briefly in front of him before vanishing again into the scrum of supercleaning going on. Smoke glanced down and looked at his armoured boots. Easier said than done, given that it were part of his suit. He sighed heavily to himself. Well, it wasn't like they could steal either his armour or his weapons from him. Hell, they couldn't even touch them unless he permitted them to do so. 
so with a huff he deactivated it and it all began to retract. First the helmet retracted into the neck, then the gloves into the wrists, before the entire arms unlocked allowing him to lift the upper section off, after the seals at the waist disconnected from his lower half that was, which finally allowed him to turn in place and turn and place down the entirely contained upper section down onto the floor. Next to where I all placed the boots in a nice neat little row he'd now noticed. Next came the lower half, which kind of just collapsed down his legs to his knees, allowing him to step out of it before lifting it and placing it next to the upper half. Because he hadn't actually unlocked his weapons from the main body of the suit before disengaging it, they'd now engaged a permalock system to it. Only Smoke himself could remove them, and only if he actually put the armour back on and repowered it to remove the maglocks. The only thing that could be removed was the rifle, and he doubted they wanted to touch that again after the last time they did. As he turned around, he noticed that the ultra clean had stopped dead, and there were six sets of curious eyes on him now. What? he asked his embedded translator, another gift of the hunter corps doing its job, as he glanced down at his skin-tight jet black inner suit to see what had them all so fascinated. All six of them seemed to absolutely explode before vanishing back into the panic clean again. He shook his head curiously as the Raptorians buzzed around him sorting out their home. He decided to take a brief look around. As they'd locked him in, he didn't think they'd mind him wandering off in the main room. There were a series of four additional rooms that he could see. First of all was the kitchen, which contained a variety of very colourful devices intended to make modern Laptorian life easier. Though he didn't notice what appeared to be a rather large microwave, like capable of holding eight meals at once large. He wondered if bachelor meals were a thing here, or maybe it was bachelorette meals. The second room was their bathroom. It contained three what appeared to be toilets, a large communal bath that reminded him of a large clamshell, and an equally large shower unit and looked like it should be used on farm animals by the number of heads inside it and the size of it. Though curiously, it had only two sinks and mirrors. The next room was the pride's bedroom, and this was the room they were all running in and out of the most. The entire floor was one big mattress with pillows scattered about everywhere. In the walls of the circle room, curved drawers were set into it, and half of them stood open as a pride hurriedly stuffed them full of a variety of garments that they'd found lying around making him chuckle somewhat as he got another impromptu glance at a bright yellow pair of panties being hurriedly stuffed out of sight before he could get a good look. But the last room made Smoke's mouth fall open. It was easily the size of the other three rooms combined and then some. It was a gymnasium. They had weights of all shapes and sizes laid everywhere, a couple of benches for doing bench presses, a couple of multi-gyms, mats of various designs for doing a variety of exercises, but it was the centrepiece that really stole the show. He appeared to have what looked like a full-size boxing or martial arts ring, complete with bright-coloured ropes strung around it and turnbuckles at the four corners. Around the ring was a series of small benches and racks, and what looked like sparring armour, as well as what appeared to be practice weapons of different sizes. Smoke picked up one of them that looked to him to be a wooden short sword of some kind, but in their hands it would probably be a full-sized blade. The blade was about the same length as one of his wrist blades, and it was made from a dark, rich brown-coloured polished wood that shone brightly under the gym lights. Smoke placed a surprisingly heavy sword back in the rack alongside the others, and walked around the ring looking at it. It looked like the took him back to his milling sessions and general sparring sessions that all hunters, indeed saviours and seekers, had to take part in. The Grand Matriarch had called it hand-to-hand -hand combat and controlled aggression training. It essentially involved getting into the ring with an opponent and trying to beat the living shit out of each other, without either breaking bones or killing one another for two minutes solid. Which was easier said than done when the opponent was a Yejuta girl and somewhat smart-arse had whispered in her ear, that you thought her bright red sparring helmet made her predlocks look fat before she got into the ring with you. Smoke absentmindedly ran his hands over the ropes as the memories washed through him, making him smile and cringe. 
he'd never really been much of a hand-to-hand fighter, preferring the more mental and cerebral sides of his chosen profession over the martial ones. He preferred to sit there and unpick the locks of codes and numbers that drove most people to the brink of insanity, but for him brought on a kind of bliss. It was just something supremely satisfying when you finally got all those segments to line up correctly, like tumbers in a digital lock, and hitting the shear line and popping it open, revealing to you the secrets that were hidden within. Some people like to do puzzles, others like to build things. Some liked to pump iron until their muscles were basically made of iron. Smoke liked to rearrange digital chaos until he created harmony. But that having been said, he was no coward. He was proud of the armour and the badges he had earned from war and what they represented. If the Lady of the Eternal Hunt put Pombat in his path, he wouldn't shy away from it. And he would do his duty just like any hunter would. Just given a choice between running headfirst at giant alien creatures pretending to be trees that could eat him and sitting at a desk staring upon a page upon page of numbers and symbols, well, the code always won. Do your kind spar? A voice from behind him said, making him snap out of his memories and whirl around on his heel. To surprise one of the pride, whose name he didn't know was stood only four feet from him and was leaning on the base of the raised up ring. He'd never even heard her approach at all. Not even a whisper. It seemed stealth really was second nature to surface Dorcas. He glanced at the raised ring again. The ceiling of this room was much higher than the others and he figured they could easily stand up without stooping inside of the ring. Yes, we do hand-to-hand combat, martial arts and even something our grand patriarch calls milling which is basically getting in the ring and punching the living shit out of each other for about two minutes, Smoke said with a soft chuckle, despite the painful memories related to the subject. The small female raptorian shook her small orange and brown scaled head in disbelief. Her golden eyes looked absolutely shocked at the revelation. I still cannot believe that your kind allows its males to fight. Such a thing is absolutely unbelievable to us. It's akin to sending younglings out to fight, she said, making smoke bristle. I am not a child, he snapped a bit harsher than he intended, and it made her jump a bit. It seemed aggression from a male was also an alien concept to them. I know that, and my apologies. I chose my words poorly there. I did not mean to insinuate that you are not capable. Your actions in the recreation zone more than proved that. To think a single person took on and killed a mimic, and a male nonetheless. Unbelievable, she said, looking at him with a mixture of surprise and wonder in those almost feeling like golden eyes. Are they common down here, those mimic things? And what are they exactly? Oh, and I never did get your name, miss, Smoke said, deciding to steer the conversation away from gender. Oh, of course, where are my manners? Surface stalker freed a ringtail at your service. And to answer your question, no, not that common. Though we do believe the com- ongoing conflict out on the surface may have forced more of them to seek shelter in the underground, as the local fauna, which you have undoubtedly noticed, is rather aggressive and has been disturbed by it somewhat, she said, smoke nodded thoughtfully. So what are they exactly, he asked again. A shapeshifter of sorts. Its body is, in its original form, is nothing more than a pink gelatinous mass. Kind of like a ball of pink putty, really. But it's not one you'd want to play with. It secretes some form of highly acidic enzyme that breaks down organic organic matter like flesh on contact. They hunt by disguising themselves as objects that they observe in the local surroundings, such as fauna and terrain. When something's unlucky enough to wander within striking range, distance they strike and they're extremely fast they tend to change the parts of their body into sharp piercing like weapons they use this then to impale their victim and grow tiny barb like hooks all along the appendage so they can drag them into the mass which engulfs them and suffocates or crushes them to death before the enzyme breaks them down and they are absorbed into the mimic through its epidermis She said in a matter-of-fact voice as if she were reading it from a biological textbook. 
Smoke remembered what had happened to the little aquatic bird that had wandered over and got lanced. And a shudder ran through him. Yeah, saw that part up close. Thing ate a bird before I cooked it. She, he said, How did you even find it? Frieda asked curiously. Well, I didn't. Not at first, anyway. I found a group of males and children hiding in the public toilets. They were so close, clustered together I saw the heat bloom through the wall. And I thought it was the creature at first until I got a look into the window and saw them inside. Once I checked in on them and made sure that they were alright, they told me that I'd seen it nearby and were hiding from it. So I told them to stay put and climbed up on the roof for a better view. That's when I saw the bird and saw what happened to it, and what appeared to be a bench eating it. And that's when I realised they don't show up on our thermal sensors, but they do on another of our view modes. One that our Ajuta originally designed to locate and detect xenomorphs. Seems to work on mimics too. Saw right through its camera once I switched to it. He said and Frieda looked absolutely stunned by this little nugget of information. Wait, you actually have a device that can see mimics no matter what shape they take? She exclaimed and Smoke nodded. Well, it's not exactly a device per se. The visor of my suit can see a variety of different visual spectrums, like thermal radiation, UV, etc., which allows us to spot our targets a lot easier in environments like the jungle. But we also have one that's designed to detect xenos, which don't show up on thermal scans thanks to their biology. But instead it detects bioelectric fields generated by both muscles and nerve endings. It's actually sensitive enough to even pick up the micro-discharges of cellular mitochondria, which lights them up a bit like a Freedom Day tree. So yeah, I could see it. Next part was easy once I could. I simply shot the fucking thing. Though I quickly worked out the projectile on bladed weapons don't exactly do shit to it as it just reseals the holes as quick as you can make them. But as it happened, it really doesn't seem to like plasma all that much. Seems to be rather flammable too. A couple of hits from my rifle, my shoulder casters, and the thing went up like a living blob of napalm. Smoke said, remembering the blue flames engulfing the mimic. Frida looked both amazed and thoughtful at this. If you have a technology that allows us to see through a mimic's camouflage, I know our science division would be absolutely incredibly interested in it. She said, sounding kind of hopeful. I'm sure we'd be pleased to share it with you. Once I get confirmation from my superiors, of course. It's not like I could just give it to you anyway. It's fully integrated into the visor, which is fully part of my suit. But I know I'll we'll be able to give you the specs for you to build your own. But for now, you'll just have to rely on my eyes if need be. He said, tapping the side of his temple, mimicking the visor that was absent. Frida looked rather uncomfortable at that. It was obvious the thought of him le letting him go anywhere near another form of danger or hazard was playing merry hell with her instincts and smoke could actually see it on a surprisingly pretty little reptilian face she was very similar to vippy in build though the form-fitting suit she wore you could see she was absolutely muscle she had a powerful pair of digigrade legs with thick bunched thighs that looked like a pair of steel cables bunched together leading down into thinner but no less solid calf muscles Again, her feet were long, with vicious-looking claws at the tips of her toes, as well as the one at the back of her heel. She also had an incredibly thick and powerful-looking tail that she kept about two inches off the floor that was tipped with feathers at the very end of it. She had a distinct hourglass shape with a pinched abdomen, which from what he could see seemed to be made up of two truly solid abdominal muscle rows, leading up to a small chest and broad shoulders. She definitely had an athlete's build, that's for sure. And as deceiving as her size was, he knew firsthand of their incredible strength. The, the phrase small but mighty came to mind. I know Vippy would be inc most incredibly displeased at the thought of you going anywhere near any further habits, hazards, let alone mimics, she said, tapping two clawed fingers together somewhat embarrassedly. She also ruffled her feathers, sending little shifting flashes up and down her head and neck as she spoke. Smoke sighed heavily and nodded. Look, I know and understand that your culture is different from my own, and I respect that, and I try not to judge it, I really do. 
but you guys really do have to do the same for mine. I'm not a Raptorian. I'm a human. I'm a trained warrior. It's my literal job to protect people. Just like you. You can't wrap me in cotton wool and sit on me and expect me to be okay with it. He said softly, but sternly. Frida nodded and blew out a sigh of her own. I know this, but you too must understand that from birth every female here is taught to value male life above their own. We're taught the importance and value of their lives. How even a single male loss can be truly devastating as this means a minimum of six potential children not born to our population. Two males and that number becomes a minimum of 12 to 16. You get what I'm saying? It's our most powerful natural instinct and not one that we can ignore because we're trying to do so. It feels like the back of your brain is on fire when you do. When you ran off in the recreation zone, all of us felt a fear like nothing we'd ever had before because our prides never had a male life to protect before. Not like this, anyway. Obviously a surface door, because we carry the weights and lives of all Raptorians with us. But our pride has never been personally responsible for a male pride member before. It triggered every instinct we have, she said. Smoke looked at her curiously, but also blew out another sigh. I'm not a member of your pride, Frida. Please try to remember that. I'm my own person and a member of Clan Mason. I answer to them and them alone. While I am sworn to obey your laws by the honour of the Clan, I'm also sworn to obey and uphold the principles of the Clan as well. And our oath absolute is if the innocent lives are in danger, we do not hesitate. We fight, we protect, and if need be, we die to defend them. It is the creed by which we all live and die by. It is unbending and unbreaking, he said in a voice filled with pride. He actually felt not only the weight of the words of the creed and the oath he'd sworn echoing through his mind, but the passion and the fire behind them. But you are a member of our pride while you are here. Your life was entrusted to us by the command pride. That makes, under our laws, it makes you a temporary member of our pride until released. So as an alien male or not, we are directly responsible for your life and well-being. If any harm befalls to you, it will be we who are punished for it. Male loss or harm is an intolerable thing to us, and it is our sworn oath and duty to protect you. Not just as surface stalkers, but as proud Raptorian females, Frida said equally as proudly. Smoke sighed again. It was time for diplomatic mode once more. All right, you win. I'll try not to rush off to find any more mimics to fight, all right? He said, and she smiled and nodded. We'd certainly appreciate that, Smoke. It's already going to be difficult enough for us to explain that little stunt to the command pride as it is. She said, and Smoke cocked his head curiously. Surely that wasn't that big of a deal. It's just a wild creature that got loose in a park and I barbecued its ass with plasma. End of story, right? He said, and she shook her head and then beckoned him to follow her, which he did, right into the living room where some of the members of the Pride were still buzzing around busily, cleaning stuff up. She motioned for him to take a seat on the couch, which he did after squeezing in behind the table. She hopped up next to him and retrieved a small tube-like device, named it at the screen before pressing a button. The screen flickered to life and lit up, forming into an image slowly. The first thing that met them was a image of a load of what looked like smartly dressed females all sat around a large sofa talking about something that looked like makeup or possibly clothes. Uh, Skeever's been watching loose males again, I swear to the great tree. Frida muttered under her breath before changing the channel with a button on what must be a remote. She flicked through about six of them before silently settling on what appeared to be a pride of smartly dressed and very business-like females in a circle behind a desk. Behind them was an image of the recreation zone park that they'd been in earlier that day, and it was now cordoned off by guard prides. Smoke could just make out the clearing, cleaning up and the smouldering remains of what once was the mimic, into what looked like buckets with small spades. An eyewitness to the incredible events told Pride Life Today News that he and his child's life, along with the lives of four other adult males and five child males, 
were indeed saved by an alien male of all things. The news reading pride said it together, each saying a word in that odd group speech thing they did. The image flicked to the male that Smoke remembered was from the public toilet. He was sat in the back of what appeared to be some sort of ambulance surrounded by medical personnel and still wrapped in the blanket that he'd been given. Beside him was his young son and he too was being checked out by very tender looking medics. So can you tell me in your own words what happened? An unseen interviewer Pride said. Well, Smoke guessed it was a pride by the multitude of microphones aimed at him and the variety of voices he heard in the question. Yes, it was incredible. I'd taken my son for a day out in the recreation zone while his mothers and our pride were in work. We met up with a couple of my friends and their sons, and we were all having a nice time having a picnic when the alarms went off. We tried to get to the shelter, but that's when we saw it. It was attacking the cave geese and eating them by the lake, so we ran into the toilets to hide from it, and it trapped us inside. And then out of nowhere, this huge figure dressed all in gold shows up and tells us not to worry. They're going to kill the mimic. I didn't know what to think. But they just vanished and we could hear them up on the roof. And then there was all this noise like shooting. And then minutes later, he comes back in and tells us the mimic is dead. So we look outside and sure enough, it's on fire on the other side of the lake. Absolutely dead. The gold-suited one had killed it, all on their own. So I thank her for helping us. But that's when the figure tells us she is actually a he. A lone male took on a mimic all on his own and beat it. It was amazing. And that's when all the guard pride showed up and what looked like a pride of surface stalkers. And they hurried the male in gold away, he said. And what would you like to say to him if he's actually watching this? The interviewer pride asked and the male looked right into the camera. Thank you so, so much, Mr. Alien. You saved all of our lives today. Mine, my sons and all of our friends. Without you, that thing would have got us for sure. So thank you, he said. The image flicked back to the news anchor pride inside the studio again. Truly incredible. Military sources refused to comment on the presence of an alien male in our city, but Pride Life Today News has obtained this footage, which confirms at least some of the story. I said by flicking towards what appeared to be a phone camera video of smoke before and after the incident, first of him pulling free of Vippy's pride and vanishing, but not before the camera managed to get a close-up of his face. A close-up that was detailed enough to reveal his Adam's apple in his neck before he deployed his mask back up, and then cut later to him being rushed away by Vippy's pride after having dealt with the mimic, while the other males were being rushed away by the guards. So there you have it, folks. An alien male in our fair city. And not just an alien male, but a defender of other males as well. A hero male who rushes to the aid of helpless males and children. Truly incredible. On behalf of this fair city we are proud to call home, and more specifically on behalf of the prides whose future and loves he protected at the recreation zone today, we at Pride Life Today News would like to say a big thank you to this gold-suited mystery male. To us and those prides... We will ever, for always be a, forever a hero, the anchor pride said before Frida flipped the remote again and the broadcast image died and the screen faded to black. Smoke blew out a long breath before running a hand through his slightly damp and somewhat greasy hair. Ah, oh boy, looks like I'm famous, he said and Frida nodded. And what's more, a good many prides will have seen you coming in here with us. She said, her voice displaying a hard edge of concern. And that's when Vippy reappeared behind her. And the look in her eyes, Smoke knew he was in for it. She was wearing the same look that the Grand Matriarch Tick Elf Mason wore. That time someone spiked her Predlock hair shampoo with some kind of dye. And she wound up with bright neon blue Predlocks for three days. As funny as that was, her hunt for the culprit, turned out to be Ryan Mason, was absolutely relentless. What you did today, as good-natured and well-intended as it was, was foolish and dangerous. What if you'd been hurt or worse, killed? We would have been held responsible for it. While you are here, you are a temporary member of this pride, and that makes every one of us responsible for your health and well-being. And to lose any male is an absolutely horrific thing, but to lose an alien male, the first of his kind on our soil under our care, would have been a disgrace like no other. Vippy yelled, her anger bursting forth. 
Rather than retort, Smoke simply decided to weather it. It was probably best just to let her vent, then talk to her when she'd managed to calm herself down and blown herself out. We are your guardian, Smoke. I hope you can understand that. Like it or not, while you are here, your actions reflect on us as well. So if you go off charging off to fight battles against opponents you have absolutely no understanding of, it makes us look absolutely irresponsible and negligent as females. To anyone watching that now, they're going to be thinking, what was that pride thinking, letting their male run off to on his own to fight? You might be a warrior among your kind, but they don't know that. All they see is a male who got himself into danger because his females failed to protect him, she yelled. She also began pacing around the room while the others all now come in and were taking seats on the couch with smoke right in the middle of them all. Frida was sat right up against his right side, so close he could feel her thigh against his. When Seema went to sit against his left, Vippy shot her a death glare so fierce that she shuffled her back, leaving an obvious space for her there. That actually struck Smoke as odd, as he actually figured that they were all equals. So one showing authority, or perhaps some form of dominance over another, actually seemed kind of counterintuitive to him. Vippy breathed out a huge frustrated sigh, and then like someone flipped a switch and it changed. She went from raging Vippy to parent talking to a child or concerned teacher scolding an errant pupil Vippy. She moved around and took that vacant seat to his left, slotting herself in into the gap perfectly against his left thigh. She reached out and grabbed both of his hands in hers, and for the first time since he didn't have his armoured gloves on now he felt her hands. The scales were tough, but smooth. The underside or palm of her hands was soft while the upper side was hard and tough. Like two types of scale, one a natural form of armour, the other far more softer and sensitive. Look, I don't mean to yell at you, but you scared the hell out of us with that little stunt. We'd have been made directly responsible for a male since the first time in our lives since we left our family prides and formed our own. Plus not just any male, but an alien male of all things. One who came here to try and help our people and you've been placed into our pride. And then you run off to do battle with a mimic of all things. You scared us all to death and we're surface stalkers. We do not scare easy. So please don't do that again. It's our job and duty to look after you. You can't do that if you go pulling stunts like that. Plus it could very well lead to us being disgraced along, along too. She said in a much softer tone of voice, all while rubbing her hands in his, in an oddly soothing motion. Smoke sighed again. Look, Vippy, I'm soft. sorry, I really am. I didn't know or mean to get your pride into trouble. That wasn't my intention at all. I simply wish to show you all that I'm not helpless or defenseless. I wanted you to see that I am a warrior too, and to treat me like one, not like a naughty child who hasn't done his homework. Look, I don't pretend to fully understand your people or your ways, as just as you don't obviously understand mine. But that's kind of one of the very reasons I became a hunter in the first place the chance to go to other worlds and to meet new and different people and to see how they live and to show them as how we live as well as the chance to prove my worth to the people who gave me life trust and love in other words my own clan so if you can try and see things from my perspective then i can promise that i will try to do the very same with you and then maybe we can find not only common ground but an understanding as well unity is what clan mason is all about Many different peoples and cultures coming together as one. And hell, if my race can find common ground and love with the race like the Yajuta, who used to actually hunt my kind for sport in years gone by, then I'm sure as hell we can find it with you, he said softly. Vippy seemed to consider this seriously, and she looked around her pride, who all seemed to be doing the same thing. And there was a series of nods before every one of them looked and said, Deal, in perfect unison. Smoke blew out a sigh of sheer relief, and he actually felt the tension ebb out of his body. Good. Well, I'm least glad we could lead the groundwork here today. That will make all our lives easier going forward, I'm sure, he said, smiling, and they all seemed to agree. We too are pleased. Now, we should begin fixing our evening meal, as I'm sure we could use some refreshment. What do your people eat? 
the bride asked. First, before we do that, how about I get some names? I mean, I know Vippy, Seema, and now Frida, but I haven't been introduced to the other three yet, Smoke said. Lima Ringtail, the one with yellow and green splotched scales said. Uma Ringtail, the one with red and blue swirled scales said. Skeever Ringtail, the one with green and brown camo-like scales said. Ah, so you're the one who likes loose males then? Smoke said, and Skeever's feathers flared and bristled in waves up and down her neck, in what Smoke took to be an embarrassment reaction. What, what gives you that idea? Skeever exclaimed all on her own this time, which interested Smoke even more. It seemed that when you spoke to one in particular, then the pride let them answer for themselves, but if you spoke to the pride as a whole, then they would speak in that word-picking thing they did. Oh, Frida said something about it when she switched their broadcast device on. Smoke said, and Frida's feathers twitched as a guilty look appeared on her face as her sister gave her a death glare. They, they have interesting articles, Skeva said now, sounding as embarrassed as she looked. Oh, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with how shiny Luma's scales are, or how long and luscious Velma's tail is. Uma giggled, making Skeva's death glare switch targets. Now she'd mentioned it, Smoke had noticed that the man's tail... Males' tails seem to be longer than those of their females. It must be another trait, and seemingly one that was an attractive quality to them as well. Well, with zero tail length, that should put him right out of the running then. But any Xeno boys that finally made their way down here were going to be in a whole world of trouble. Now the whole bride were giggling at their embarrassed sister. So what if it is? Is it a crime to look at pretty males? They go to all that trouble to make themselves look pretty... At least I can do is enjoy the sight, Skeever grumped, making the others laugh even harder now. The tension seemed to be going right out of them now, which made Smoke a little bit happier. He chuckled along with them, and decided while the mood was good to throw out a question, so he might gain some cultural understanding about them. So is that an attractive thing to Raptorian girls then? A long, thick tail? He asked, and they all nodded in perfect unison. Well, that and a nice, cute, compact, short snout, smooth, soft scales, pretty eyes, and a well-groomed and colourful plumage, they all said together. What about humans? What do human females look for in their males? They shot back. Smoke scratched his chin. Honestly, it varies from person to person. Like I said, we're pair bonders, not group bonders. Some girls like big muscles, some like skinny and slender. Some like facial hair or furs, you got probably call it. Most like their guy to be taller than them. Most like them to smell nice and keep themselves well-groomed. So it's a whole spectrum of things, really. But then you have to factor in the fact that both Xenos and Yejuta, too. The pride looked curious at this. Oh, why is that? they asked. Humans are popular among the other races of Clan Mason. That's why they came to join the clan in the first place. So they could practice interspecies love without fear of judgment or bigotry, among other things. Human males, for instance, are very popular among both Yejuta females and Xeno females. Yejuta girls are about nine foot tall and basically a wall of solid muscle with a face and anger issues. But they are one of the sweetest and most gentle creatures to love you could imagine. Just don't ever fuck with a Yejuta girl's claimed woman male, which is their word for us. Not unless you want to be force-fed your own tail and turned into a hoopla hoop, Smoke said with a soft chuckle. How can you tell a claimed male on your world? They asked curiously. Oh, it's pretty easy. With the Yejuta, both wear a mate mark, which is the result of a bite from human teeth to the Yejuta and their mandible tusk to the human. It's located in the shoulder and neck joint right here, Smoke said, pulling his suit to one side to show off his skin where the bite mark would be made. A lot of them go for an all more traditional human display on top of this, such as having a matching set of rings made that they both wear on this finger and their hands. It's usually a gold band with no stone. Shows that they're taken, Smoke said, holding up his hand and pointing to the ring finger with his other hand. So what about the, what did you call them, Xenos, was it? They asked and Smoke nodded. A little bit more difficult there. They usually make a make mark of their own, it's used to be a bite 
on a human much like the Yejuta did, but in more recent years a more modern trend has emerged. That is, they use their blood to draw a small set of symbols, which means they're claimed beloved and protected in their language on either sh their shoulder or the cheek of the claimed one. Smoke said and Raptorians looked shocked. With their blood? Isn't that a little impermanent? What if you get wet? Wouldn't it wash away? They asked and Smoke chuckled at their innocent ignorance and confusion. He lifted his hair again to reveal the full-blooded mark on his forehead. This is what Xeno blood does to all flesh except their own. It's a highly concentrated molecular acid that can eat straight through a shape spaceship hull like it was made of toilet paper. Nasty stuff, to say the least. This mark here is a Yejuta symbol. It means full-blooded. And it is the mark you get when you pass out and are made a full-blooded hunter. He said proudly before Vippy grabbed his head and brushed his hair back again to peer closely at the mark. Outrageous! Marking a male's flesh in such a way. On this world, to harm a male like this would have had you locked away and your male taken into protective custody, where only his birth pride may see him until he's deemed safe and well enough to be released back either to his own life or under the arms of another pride who would love and care for him. She said proudly and Smoke turned his head to raise an eyebrow at her, which she curiously watched before reaching up to touch the furry thing above his eye socket with her claw tips. Soft, she said in a very soft voice. It's actually a mark of respect among my people, one we take proudly and willingly. It means that I have passed and endured the trials of my clan, and I have been granted the honour of joining the Guardian Corps of Clan Mason as a full-blooded hunter. It is a mark that only either our Grand Matriarch or Patriarch can bestow upon a clan member or prospective clan member. Though as the hunters of the unit of our beloved Grand Matriarch, she is almost always the one who marks us. Our Grand Patriarch only comes to watch and to greet the new hunters with open arms while supporting his wife. She does the same when he inducts new seekers into the clan, he explained. You've mentioned these seekers before. What exactly are they? the Pride asked. As I explained to the Command Pride and yourselves, Clan Mason's military is called the Guardian Corps. It's made up of four main branches. The Hunters, like yours truly, they are the frontline troops and trained in all form of combat to the level of special forces. Then there's the Saviors, which I'm also technically a member of, having passed their training when I became an electronic warfare and counter-warfare operative. They specialise in both very specialised combat and non-combat roles alike. For example, all of Clan Mason's snipers are trained by the Saviors, by Seller LF Mason herself. Then there's things like what like I do, which is essentially like a combat hacker in Signal's role all rolled into one. But they also do other things like police our streets, prevent errant cubs from wandering off into the jungle, fly our spaceships, fix said spaceships, all sorts of things really. And then finally there are the battle angels. There are combat medics and field surgeons. They are made up pretty much exclusively of xenomorphs that come from Queen Zara and King Cortez's hive. The hive itself is one giant hospital dedicated to preserving and, pro and protecting life and combating all forms of diseases and conditions. And then finally you have the Seekers. These guys are basically super badasses. They're made up entirely of dream warriors who are like super powered versions of their parent species. Human, Juta and now Serpentinus in the form of Glow Slitherus. They're incredibly powerful capable of doing things that not even I can understand, and I grew up with them. The Seekers take these dream warriors and train them to become a Seeker of Truth. Each one of them is like having a thousand regular soldiers because of the way they move and the things they can do. They have all these incredible powers, like being able to read minds, bend nature to their beck and call. Don't be too surprised if your surface stalkers begin reporting seeing armoured figures in blue riding around on giant lizards you got up there. That's the kind of thing our seeker tamers tend to do. Once saw one tame an entire pack of angry fire tigers by simply walking up to the alpha and stroking his head and calling him a good kitty. Fucking thing was 12 foot long and it rolled over on its back with its legs in the air to have its belly tickled, Smoke said with a chuckle at the end. 
all good males should roll over on their back to have their belly tickle if you treat them right. Lippy said on her own with a sly, challenging glance at Smoke who simply huffed in his annoyance. Not this male, sister, I can tell you that now. No one tickles this boy's belly, he said and she laughed. We shall see. Now, I would believe it would be wise for us to offer you the chance to freshen up while we prepare food. The jungle is an awful place to maintain one's hygiene. Do your species group shower and bathe? she asked. Uh, no, not if we can help it. Much more of a private thing, Smoke said, in a little, still a little perturbed and taken aback about our words about the belly tickling. Very well, then. You will bathe first, and we will begin cooking, and then we will bathe after the meals, and we will settle for a claws and snout wash for now. Uh, what do your kind eat again? she asked. We're omnivores, so a bit of anything, really. I actually have some food with me in our ration packs in my armour pouches, he said, but Vippy waved a dismissive hand into the air under his nose. Nonsense. You are our pride mail, and we will not be accused of not feeding our pride mail. Now, go on, off with you. Go and bathe while we begin the meal, he said, before he very unceremoniously was steered into the bathroom and left to his own devices. Oh, boy, this day just kept getting weirder and weirder by the minute. Then a thought struck him. What if he said yes to the communal bath bathing? Would he now be in a bathtub with six very na naked Raptorian females all trying to scrub his back? Smoke chuckled to himself before turning to lock the door to ensure the privacy, only to discover the door was actually without a lock. He huffed softly and looked at it before shrugging. Of course they didn't need a lock. They all bathed together. He just hoped they didn't take any liberal interpretations as to the, what the word privacy meant. So with a final shrug to himself, he began to peel off his undersuit and underwear before stepping into the large surus shower unit and beginning the arduous task of trying to figure the bloody controls out so he didn't get pelted with ice-cold water or maybe even sand. He really didn't need to get peeled off of all his skin to go with a list of other things that happened to him today. Mm, so that was chapter 21, ladies and gentlemen. But is Smoke going to actually survive his shower? How is he going to take life settling in with the Raptorians? Going to have to f find out the answer to that question next week. So until next week, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.